Um, hey, good morning. I'm glad to be with you. If we haven't met yet, my name is Michael. And um, yeah, I just wanted to start this morning with a, a little reflection. I spent some time in the kitchen this week, which is not where I belong. <laughs> like, I just am not good at putting things together. I'm not a chemist. Like, I think, I think that's it. Jessie is intuitively a chemist, and she will look at a recipe and she's done this to me before, and I don't think she minds me telling this story, where she'll be like, hey, can you put together dinner? I'm like, sure, that's fine. She says, I put a recipe on the, on the thing, and, uh, and I just need you to fill in. Like, I just need you to put the thing together. Like, all the parts are there. I need you to put it in. So I go through and start going through the recipe. Well, then it's like, it's a hunt. i got to find the stuff. And I'm like, honey, we don't have X, Y, Z. And she's like, oh, well, you don't need X. You need this other... F over here. Like, it's the same thing. Just put it in there. I'm like, well, that's not what the recipe says. And she says, but it, it works the same way. I said, okay, well, we don't have, like, Z. She's like, yeah, but you could totally put a B in there. Like, it's totally fine. I'm like, they're different letters of the alphabet. Like, they sound like they're completely different ingredients. And I did not grow up cooking. Like, one of the biggest stresses for me when we got married is I'd go to the pantry, and the pantry is just full of ingredients. Not, not food, ingredients. Like, you have to put them together to make a meal. And that, that was foreign to me when we got married because every time I went to the pantry, like, there was something that I could just put in the microwave and it was food or I could just take out. So, yeah, um, that's something uh, that has been a, a struggle for me. And I just have been reflecting on, like, spices um, and just wondering, like, what is, like, if I were to ask you, what is the spice of life? Like, what would you, like, what's the, the pat answer? Like, what's the spice of life? There's a phrase. Am I, am I the only one who's heard this phrase? Variety is the spice of life? Have you all never heard that before? Has anybody ever? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've moved from the pantry. Now I'm in the spice rack. Okay. Yeah. Um, what, so variety, like that's, that's a common phrase is that variety is the spice of life if stuff is different. And I, I, feel, like, I feel like that is probably true to some degree. Um, I worked for a, a long time as a caretaker for a, a guy's property. And, and by and large, I'd come in and my 40 hours during the week were basically the same tasks over and over again every week. And so when I moved into a landscaping role with a smaller company, I was actually really excited because I never knew what we were going to be working on. We might be tearing out... Uh, we might be digging out gravel, which were my favorite weeks, digging gravel out of places where gravel should never have been. Um, or uh, we might be shoveling mulch out, or we might be planting things, or we might be doing irrigation. Like, we just never knew what we were going into. And that variety actually made me want to go to work on a Monday, because what are we going to get into this week? Um, but variety, for variety's sake, to me actually sounds pretty hollow. Like, if, we're, if, we're, if we have a variety just because we want to do something different all the time, um, I think we end up in kind of a hollow place. Um, maybe another word for variety is, is diversity. And, and, and diversity, just for the sake of diversity, because we feel like diversity is like a thing, um, actually rings pretty hollow. And, and, and I think we feel that most when, like, corporations, like, Pat tried to present themselves as diverse just for the sake of diversity or for a marketing campaign of some kind. Like, if you're diverse, like, it should just be a part of who you are, not something that you feel like you have to manufacture. And if you're manufacturing it, then it just kind of, just kind of rings hollow. Is that, like, is anybody else skeptical about, like, major corporations doing that kind of stuff? Okay, cool. Awesome. Good. We're on the same page. Well... As much as I love talking about corporations, I would rather um, talk about uh, Jesus, if that's okay with you. So as we uh, dive in together this morning, I want to look at uh, some of Jesus' teaching. 
um, on the spice, on the variety, on, on, on like what is the spice of life. Um, and and try, to, try to get some, some wisdom from him um, as, as we look at his teaching. Um, would you then uh, together pray with me as we begin? And our habit here together at Neighborhood Church is to pray together the disciples' prayer, um, which is going to be familiar to you, but I'm, I'm, we're praying it together out of a different translation than you probably memorized it in. So the words are there on the screen, and you can pray out loud with me if you'd like to, but I just invite you to bow your hearts together with me, and let's pray as we begin. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13? Um, It's on page 1011 in the blue Bibles that are probably tucked under the chair in front of you. 1011 in the blue Bibles, um, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. I'm just going to jump in and and lock in on a verse for a couple of minutes. And then uh, as we talk about this verse, I'll get more into some of the surrounding texts and, and the context of what we've got here. But I just want to begin by reading um, this kind of isolated, like little snippet of Jesus' teaching, a little fortune cookie, and we'll start there. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I'm just going to pause there um, because I actually think there's something really interesting here that if, you're, if you're, uh, you've been in church for a while, you've probably come across this passage uh, a, a number of times and you're familiar with it. If, if this is your first time reading this verse, you're probably at an advantage because you don't have the same kind of baggage that somebody like me is going to come to the text with. Um, Jesus is saying here, as he's speaking to his disciples, he's, he's, uh, as we read the first part of this uh, sermon, he's looking at large crowds and he's pulling back and says, hey, for those of you guys who have already decided to follow me, I'm going to give you some instructions for how to be my disciple. What does is, what is an apprentice of me look like? What are some characteristics of people that are following me? So he's talking to his disciples, but the crowd seems to have kind of followed him up. They can hear what's going on, but his primary address is to people that have already chosen to follow him. And he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? Jesus says that disciples of him are the salt of the earth. Now, if you're exploring Jesus, if you're skeptical about Jesus, like I'm I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're you're hanging with us. Um, We're going to talk specifically about people that are already bought in and and sold on the Jesus thing for a little bit. Um, But there's going to be things in here that are going to be helpful to you, too. So um, disciples of Jesus are the salt of the earth. So what what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Now, when I was growing up, uh, the thing that I heard from this passage most often was that salt in, in this day and age primarily acted as a preservative. So we're talking... Lord, if we can imagine it together, we're talking before refrigeration, we're talking before air conditioning existed. 
Lord, help these people. I don't know how generations of people existed before air conditioning, and, but it, it has happened before. Um, and Lord, may it never be again. But before refrigeration, before people like had a fridge to stick their meat into, they would salt it and preserve it. And salt was primarily a preservative. That's how I heard it. So that, so that as he talks about disciples of Jesus being the salt of the earth, what he, what he was indicating was that we are the ones, disciples of Jesus are the ones that are preserving the earth. We're the ones that are kind of keeping it from becoming so corrupt that it is unredeemable. Um, and... Uh, Maybe there's a component of that, but I don't know that that's actually what he's driving at here because what he says is, you're the salt of the earth. Blanket statement. Cool. Fine. But if the salt has lost its taste, or if the, lost has, if the salt has lost its saltiness, um, then what's it good for? How will its saltiness be restored? He's talking about flavor. He says, disciples of Jesus are the flavoring of the earth. Have you ever had like a, a really, really good steak? And it's just, it's great. The odds are probably, I would say, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to keep my eye on Sarah because she's the one who has made the best steaks that I've ever eaten and known her personally. So uh, the key, I think, the key is like a little bit of salt in the steak as you're cooking it. Yeah. And what the salt actually does is it brings out everything else that makes the steak great. It's not that like you need salt to like, you want to taste the salt. You don't want to taste the salt, but the salt brings out what's great in the world. And so if we are, if disciples of Jesus are the salt of the earth, then what we ought to be doing in the world is bringing out what is best in the world and being the flavor of the world. Um, it's interesting though, because we don't really think about this, but where salt came from in the ancient world actually was from like, the Dead Sea, especially in Israel where Jesus is teaching. Like there's this sea that's at the lowest elevation possible and it's down so low that all the water that runs into it, it has nowhere lower to go. It's below sea level. So the water that comes in can't go out. And so all the salinity and all the salt and all the minerals it picks up on the way down just stay in this sea and literally nothing can grow in it, which is bad for plants, but good if you want some salt. So you'd go up to the shore, and as the, shore, as the water kind of laps up on the shore, it leaves the deposits of the minerals. And so if you wanted salt to put on your steak or whatever lamb you happen to be cooking that day, you'd go and you'd get a lump of salt from the shore, but the salt wasn't like, it's not iodized table salt. It ain't going to fit in your shaker, right? Like you're going to have to scrape some off, and you got some dirt, you got some clay, you got some, some bad stuff in with your salt because it's au naturel. It's from the earth, right? So people would use a clump, a clump of salt at their table until all they had left was like the dirt deposit that they picked up on the way. And you get to the bottom of your table, of your salt shaker, right? Air quotes, salt shaker. And then... Like, the dirt is salty, but I don't want to eat that. And so they would just throw it out in the street. So they had dirt roads. There was no pavement. They wouldn't, like, whatever. So they just throw it out in the street. And there have been, like, chemical tests of the streets of ancient sites in Israel where the salinity of the pavement, the salinity of the street is significantly higher than anywhere else in the city because people just throw their dirt, their salt dirt, out in the road. Like, that's normal. That's the picture that he's saying. If you get down and have used your salt all the way down to the nublets, like, how are you going to get more salt? You're, going to, you're just going to go get more, right? And he's saying the disciples of Jesus are the salt of the earth, are the flavor of the earth. And if they lost their saltiness, then where do I, like, what do I do? 
I have to go and, and get more. I have to grow the lump if I'm going to have more salt. I just wonder, has this been our experience with church? Like when I, when I say church to you, like just generically, if, we were, if, it was, if this was Thursday, all right, and I met you for lunch, I was like, hey, church, like is the first thing that comes to your mind like the flavor of the earth, the spice of life? No, typically like our, our, our ideas of church are like kind of stodgy and, and, and not really, uh, maybe not even particularly helpful, maybe in some instances actually toxic. Like, that's not, that's not how we think of church. And yet Jesus says, this is, you guys are the salt of the earth. Um, and I think maybe we just got so locked into that preservative imagery that we, that we have overlooked that small word if the salt has lost its taste, that, it's, that we're talking about a flavor here. You are the salt of the earth. But that really hasn't been our experience. But I want to ask a question that if you've, you've been in neighborhood church uh, for a couple of weeks is going to be familiar to you. Like, what if Jesus was serious about this? What if, what if he's not just like making stuff up? What if he's not just like using clever images from their kitchen, from their kitchen to try to say something cute? What if he's serious? That you are the salt of the earth. You are is a statement of identity. Typically, when I, when, I, when I have heard this passage before, like I've walked away from it, okay, I've got to be more salty, which, you know, good or bad takeaways, I'm not quite sure. But I'll, I'll, I'll walk away from a conversation about these verses, I've got to be more salty, I've got I to infuse more flavor into my community, I've got to like, be like a best, like most extreme version of myself so that everybody gets a little bit of flavor of what Jesus is doing in my heart. And I don't know that that's necessarily like our takeaway from this. I think the takeaway is like, you are the salt of the earth. Like, it's not a matter of, like, you striving more. This is a statement of fact. It's a statement of identity. It's not to challenge your behavior. It's just a fact that God has already done this. There's something in you that is already salty as you are following Jesus. I don't, I don't think I believe that most days. I think most days I'm just trying to survive. <laughs> most days I'm just trying to, like, make it through the day without, like, Screaming at my kids, or being frustrated with my boss, or my coworkers, right? And as I think perhaps the church has wholeheartedly embraced this preservative idea over the flavor idea, I just want to make one statement very, very clear that our hope, our hope, is in the coming kingdom and not in the good old days. Whatever, whatever comes to our mind when we think about the times when things used to be better, our hope is not there. Our hope is in the coming kingdom. In fact, that's, that's what we read this, this morning in the first part. So, this, this, these verses come in the middle of what's um, commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably the longest sermon that we have recorded of Jesus. It probably is a sermon that he preached more than once and is cumulative, um, something that was really, really close to his heart. But the way that he starts off is with a series of blessings. Um, we, like the fancy word is Beatitudes, if you want to 
speak in Latin for some reason, but, but there, there's a series of blessings, and he goes to describe, like, what does a happy person look like? What does a blessed person look like? And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Like, hunger and thirst to me does not sound like too blessed to be stressed, hashtag, right? Hunger and thirst and, and, and poverty sounds like struggle, grind. But he says, those who, are, who know that they are spiritually bankrupt are those who are citizens of that future kingdom, which is our hope. Now, We've actually already been through these verses in depth, and so if you want to catch up, uh, I can f- officially say, after a long, long time, that we're all caught up to date. If you want to catch up sermons on our website or on our YouTube page or on our podcast, they're all there. And this series was actually also called What If, what if Jesus Was Serious? So that's the first couple of verses there. Um, we did three weeks in depth going through these verses. Um, but the point of, that I think I want to draw out of it from this this component and tie it to what we're doing here is he looks at a group of people who would identify themselves as completely bankrupt and he says, you are the salt of the earth. He looks at people who are mourning and broken and grieving, who feel like they probably don't have a place at all. And he says, you belong in here and you are the flavor that brings out the best in what's left of creation. This morning, if you are spiritually broken, you are welcomed by Jesus. And that's, that's a lot of talking about one verse. It's probably more, more talking than I'm really comfortable with, but it but just leads me to the question. Will we fix all of our hope on Jesus. For all of the the voices that are competing in our culture for our attention and for our affection, will we fix all of our hope on Jesus? It's, It's a personal decision. But it's a personal decision that reshapes every aspect of our being. Our our takeaway this morning is that Jesus transforms the chemistry of our soul as a sign of his plan to restore the whole world. Jesus transforms the chemistry of our soul as a sign of his plan to restore the whole world. He makes salt... He makes flavor out of mixed lumps. Let's continue reading in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. And like, okay, like this, this is a thing that I'm not quite sure I know how to reconcile. 
But if you're familiar at all with like the biographies of Jesus, like the biography that was written by Jesus' closest friend, John, opens up with this great theological discourse that like drives us to like the edges of our comprehension in which he points to Jesus as himself the light of the world shining in darkness. And the light of the world shining in darkness looks to his broken and destitute and bankrupt disciples and says, you are the light of the world. I'm pointing to you, man. Like, I'm the moon here. You're the sun. What do you mean I am the light of the world? I'm just, whatever it is that you've got, Jesus, that, that you're pouring out on the world, like, it's, like, maybe I'm, like, I'm not contributing anything. I'm just reflecting. And I don't know what, it's, what he's doing here that he's saying, you are the light of the world when he himself is light and in him is no darkness at all. But he says it. What if he's serious? Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. Now, if you've been to Home Goods, uh, this might be a little bit confusing because I see them put lights under baskets all the time. And it's weird, and I don't understand it. But, but I'm not ta- he's not talking about lampshades. He's not talking about like diffusing the light with this nice wicker weaving, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, what he's saying is when you light a lamp, and, and their lamps were, to us were more like candles. They're like oil lamps. And so if you light a lamp, if you're trying to light your whole house at midnight by a light, like like one lamp actually is one little candle actually is a lot brighter than you think, right? But you're not going to light that lamp and then cover it over to light the house. Like that doesn't make any sense. One, you're going to catch the place on fire. Probably not good. Um, before there were also like you know firemen and trucks and things like that. But you also like you're not going to be able to see anything. Like you don't light a lamp and then cover it up so that nothing is easy. No, no, no. You are the light of the world. This is a personal decision that reshapes every aspect of our being because it has very public consequences. If Jesus is doing work in your soul, if he's transforming the chemistry of your soul, then your attitude towards everybody else in your life is going to be different. For me this week, it's going to reshape the tone to which I speak to my children. It's going to affect uh, our partnerships as we try to work together with people that are our coworkers. And it's not to draw the attention to ourselves, but it's a sign that Jesus has started a work that he promises he's going to finish. It's a sign that he might put a little bit of kindness in my wicked heart that the kingdom's coming and that there is hope and that it's not all talking heads and screaming at one another. If God exists and if God like actually made everything, like everything, everything, not a little bit, not some of it, but everything, everything, and then he sends his son and is in the process of fixing everything that's, that we broke then that changes how we approach our daily life. It changes how we approach our work. It changes how we approach our finances. It changes how we approach everything about us. We live in Jesus, and our neighbors see God. There's a pastor, uh, his name is uh, Eugene Peterson, and, and he, as he's like 
thinking about these verses, he, he kind of rephrases them this way. He says, let me tell you why you're here. You're here as the salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you're going to end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God's not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand... Shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Where are we embarrassed about Jesus' work in our lives? If, we're, if we are the spice of life, I think it requires that we trust his way for living. Acknowledging that we're all mixed lumps. Would our communities, our families, our, our, uh, our schools, would our neighborhoods be darker without us? And in the same way that you can lead a, I hate this metaphor, but in the same way you can lead a horse to water, you can't make it drink. You can put salt in its oats. Are we the salt in the oats of our neighbor? And are we pointing them to Jesus, the living water that satisfies? How will we point our neighbors to Jesus? Because the work that he's doing in us is a sign of the work that he wants to do in the rest of the world. He says elsewhere that all of creation, the earth and plants and animals, all of creation groans for what will be revealed when Jesus finishes the work that he's doing in us. And Jesus transforms the chemistry of our soul as a sign of his plan to restore the whole world. Would you pray together with me? Father God, your ways are better than mine. Just a few moments in a mirror, and I think, you've got, to, you've got to have a better plan than this. Lord, would you, in your grace and your kindness, wash away all that is impure in your eyes. Lord, for those components of my life that I think are unsavory and yet are part of who you made me to be, Lord, I pray that you would shine in those places. 
And Lord, for those things that I have embraced as my truest identity, which are hostile to you, Lord, would you lead me to cut them out? In and of myself, I don't have wisdom to know the difference. But Lord, we look to you and we look to your word. We trust your spirit to lead us and guide us in this. We thank you that your work in the world isn't just confined to what you're doing in people, but that, God, you're actually fixing everything that's broken. Would you help us not to idolize the good old days, wherever they might have been, but to fix our hope on you and to lean forward hungrily and thirstily for your coming kingdom. This heart work only you can do, and so we trust you for it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.